Thank you for joining us once again for Kingdom Rock Radio. Now here's a sample of today's broadcast. You said out of your own mouth, be your own witness, that you were going to serve the Lord. So when you stray from him and you start serving these false gods, and we may not have one called Baal, but we can get so wrapped up in serving our stuff that we turn our eyes from God. Remember, if you would like to hear more about our ministry, just log on to KingdomRock.org. That's KingdomRock.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the rich word of God. Uh, of what's being discussed in Judges so that we can all kind of be on the same page and get the full impact of it. We're going to do a little history lesson today. Now, um, it's important for us to look at the Bible and look at the Old Testament, not as just stories, uh, because sometimes when we tell, like when we teach our kids Bible stories, uh, sometimes it is easy for them and easy for us to start equate them with fairy tales, right? Because they're all stories that you learn when you're growing up. But what we want to instead um, teach ourselves or what we want to regard them as is not as stories. This is uh, the Old Testament accounts are not on the same level uh, of information as Cinderella or, you know, Snow White or, you know, the three little bears. They're not just things that you tell kids as they're growing up. These, this is history. Now, this is my book, A People's History of the United States from 1492 to present. And I believe present was probably somewhere in the early 2000s. So it's not as of today. But this is a book uh, of history for the United States. Now, since nobody in this room was present when the United States became the United States, am I correct? Not making any assumptions. Nobody here's that old. Since we weren't here, it's important for us to read history books to know what went on. Because knowing what went on helps us to appreciate where we are now and helps us to not make some of the same mistakes that our forefathers would have made. And so because that is important, every school, you know, and pretty much in almost every grade, our children will learn some history. Uh, in some form or fashion, they'll learn something about what went on uh, years and years and years before they were here. Now, a lot of kids tend to think it's boring because they say, well, that was so long ago, it doesn't have anything to do with me now. But there is a famous quote that says, when we don't know our history, we are doomed to repeat it. And that happens when we are not reminded of not only the accomplishments of our ancestors, but the mistakes of our ancestors. Because people don't change. We are the same. We are just like, you know, people that live 200 years ago. We have the same sort of mannerisms, same sort of thought processes, uh, some of the... Um, conveniences and technology is different, but people, you know, for the most part, we do the same sorts of things. So when we don't learn our history and learn what did not work for them, well, sure enough, give us enough time, we'll make the same mistakes. Um, case in point with the current economic situation that our country is in, I was listening to a program uh, on the radio and um, they were talking about how um, they were just, you know, this one study where they looked at that people that lived during the Depression 
that once those people had either, it was like a somewhat of a prediction, I believe, that at some point once those folks had either died out or became too old to be the ones in power, so to speak, that our country would experience some type of financial crisis similar to what went on then. And sure enough, that is what has happened because we forgot the lessons that they learned uh, which was, if you live above your means for too long, it's going to catch up with you. And once we finally pull ourselves out of this you know, economic crisis, if we don't continue to teach our children and our children's children, well then after those of us that have lived through it now become too old to be in power, well then they will go through the same sort of thing if they are not reminded. And so that is what was going on with the nation of Israel is they had their history. And we're going to go a little bit over some of their history. But at some point, there was a breakdown in the communication. There was a failure to remind the current generation of not only how the Lord had blessed them because of their obedience, but what happened to them as a nation when they strayed from God. And if we as a people, we, you know, if you've been raised in church or you've given your life to the Lord and you've seen the, the, how the hand of God can move mightily in your life, if you don't continue to share that testimony with your children, the importance of serving the Lord, well then, or if you only present it to them as Bible stories, well then when they become of age and it's time for them to choose, they won't have you know, that rich history to help them to make the decision. All they'll have is what the world is presenting to them right now. Okay. So our little history lesson is going to take us back real quickly all to the beginning. Uh, Well, not completely back to the beginning, but we're going to go back to Abraham. God spoke to Abraham and told him to move from his kindred people from his homeland to a land that he would promise him and he would become a father of many nations. Now, The remarkable thing about that is that Abraham and his wife, Sarah, have no children. Sarah is barren, uh, meaning she's not able to have to have children for whatever reason. And they are getting on up there in age. And so but they are obedient and they move out. And so they are waiting because God has said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And so Abraham is like, well, how is that when we are childless? Now, as can often happen with uh, with us, A promise, the promise of God can be spoken into our lives, but because we think that when God tells me something, he means for it to happen right now. When, I'm sure like Abraham and Sarah, nine months go by and there's no child. You know, 18 months go by and there's no child. You know, 36 months go by, there's no child. Then they're probably saying, well... Is did he really say that? You know how we first you start to doubt the word that you heard. Did he really say? Did I understand him to say that? Was that God speaking to me? I thought it was, but you know now the time has passed, and it, you know I haven't seen the promise you know come to fruition. And you start to doubt that you heard God, and then we go into the next step. Well, okay, I believe God told me. Well, maybe there's something I was supposed to do, so I better make it happen because you know. God can't possibly be strong enough to bring it to pass on his own. He must be waiting on me. And so that's what happened with Abraham and Sarah said, well, okay, child's not happening this way. So let's do, let's try plan B. Okay. They had a plan B and their plan B was to get what we would consider in today's terms, a surrogate. 
Uh, now, we have the technology where we could have had, uh, uh, where Abraham and Sarah could have had a surrogate mother where you would have taken Sarah's egg, Abraham's seed, put them together in a lab, and then insert them into, uh, into another woman who was going to just you know, sort of be the carrier. Well, they didn't have that technology. So Abraham actually had to go in and have relations with Hagar in order to produce the child. But it was the same sort of situation. She was a surrogate. It wasn't going to be her child. It was going to be Sarah and Abraham's child. Well, things get complicated, don't they? And so that was not when God said, I will make you father of many nations. God doesn't need a surrogate. So as they go through and we have the birth of Ishmael, uh, who was in fact not the promised child. And so the Lord is telling him, you know, that was not my plan. That was what you did. My plan was you and uh, Abraham and Sarah, you would have a child. That's what I told you. And you know how my parents said, I meant what I said. Right? <laughs> That's what I told you. And so time goes by. And then when they are at their ripe old age, Abraham is 100, Sarah is 90. Uh, now, you have to also remember that people lived longer in those times. So it's not the equivalent of a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old in today's term having children. But you may want to say maybe some, perhaps people in their 50s or 60s, something, something like that. So, but still past the point where they thought that it was going to happen. But they are blessed with a child, and his name is Isaac. Uh, and so there are some problems with that go on with Hagar and Ishmael and her child. Uh, and those two sections still war today. Are we familiar with them? Amen. Ishmael becomes a line of the um, uh, Muslim community and Isaac of the Jewish community and they are still at war over who was to inherit who or inherit what property because both of them can trace their lineage back to Abraham who was given the promise to have all of this as an inheritance. So you see how we can throw a monkey wrench in things and we can mess up what God has planned. We can do something and then there's consequences that have to be dealt with and those consequences can follow not only us but our children and our, you know, our descendants on them. Okay, so then we end up here with Isaac. And Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, we remember Pastor Stroud has told us some about Jacob and Esau, uh, the twins that were born. And Esau was the oldest. And so as being the oldest, he had certain things that he was entitled to, you know, a birthright. And we have heard how he traded his birthright uh, for um, something physical right now, um, you know, instant gratification. He has flesh had a need and he decided I will give up the things of the spirit to satisfy the things of the flesh. Now, when we look at that account, sometimes as we often do, we can start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And you look at somebody else's decision and you think, there's no way I would have given up everything that I was entitled to because I was hungry. But let's think about that. Hunger can be manifested in different ways, right? And how many times have we forsaken a relationship with God, a spiritual walk with him, because our flesh was hungry? Our flesh had a need, and we said, I'm going to give up, you know, what I can have over here, this life that God has chosen for me, because I got to do something. When the flesh is hungry, it lets you know, right? And I got to do something to get the hungry off because I can't function. 
And that's what was the case with Esau. So he gave up uh, some spiritual entitlements uh, to satisfy some physical cravings. Um, So again, when we look back, and that's what's so important about history, is that when we see how this happens, then when we come to those situations where our flesh is craving and in need, perhaps we can remember the account of Jacob and Esau and all that Esau gave up in that moment of weakness because his flesh was was having a need, because his flesh was craving, because he didn't understand what his birthright was. We need to understand what we give up when we say, God, I'm going to turn from you just a minute because I need to take care of this need over here. I need to fix this. I'll come back to you. But for right now, this body has some urges and I'm going to have to satisfy these urges. Okay. So we want to think about how that not only affects us, but it affects our children and their children, the decisions that we make, because, you know, as they say, no man is an island. There is nothing we can do that just affects us. It's always going to affect the people, our circle of people around us uh, in some way or another. Um, It's going to come up. It's going to affect them. Okay. So Jacob um, has, uh, as we've seen, these are Jacob's kids and grandkids. Mm-hmm. So how about be fruitful and multiply? Took it seriously. So Jacob ends up with uh, these children are by four different women. He has two wives, and those two wives each have a handmaiden. Now, uh, being able to produce children during this, you know, particular era, and, and now in some parts of the country, depending on where, where you are now in America, we tend to only have a couple of children. But there's still some countries where, especially if you're in an agricultural society, when we were more of an agricultural society, people had big families, right? Because they came and they helped, um, you know, with the land. They helped, you know, with what was necessary. But not, you know, so much now we don't tend to have as large families. So this was not like an uncommon thing to have a large family. Um, and for a wife, you know, you were considered to be a blessing to your husband if you could produce a lot of children and not just a lot of children, but sons, you, if you could produce him sons. And so the woman that he loved, um, was Rachel and he had to work to earn what he thought he was doing was working to earn the right to marry her. But in fact, he was tricked, uh, by his soon to be father-in-law into marrying her older sister, Leah. And so then he had to work another seven years to earn the right to marry Rachel, where Leah was producing sons right and left. We have Reuben, uh, Simeon, Levi, uh, Judah uh, were Leah's sons, and then uh, Issachar and Zebulon. And they also have a daughter, Dinah. You don't hear a lot of mention of women's names because this was sort of a male-focused um, society at the time. Um, so those were Leah's sons. And so when he finally does marry uh, Rachel, she's not having any children. And so uh, this is a personal affront to her because she wants to be a blessing to her husband. Uh, and so she's got to do something. So what she does, again, we see the uh, sort of intervention of a surrogate, so to speak. She gives him her handmaiden uh, to go in and have children in her stead. And so we have... Um, the handmaiden's children here. We've got Dan and Naphtali. And then uh, Leah says, well, you know, I'm not to be outdone. So she also gives 
um, Jacob, her handmaiden, to have sons. And so she has sons. And then finally, Rachel does have two sons of her own, Joseph and Benjamin, and she dies, uh, I believe it's during childbirth of, of Benjamin. So she does finally give him two sons. So when we hear, if you ever hear talk about the 12 tribes of Israel at a point when Jacob is wrestling with God, his name, his name is changed from Jacob to Israel because Jacob meant, you know, supplanter, deceiver. So he's changed. uh, His name is changed to Israel. So when we hear talk of the 12 tribes of Israel, we are talking about these 12 sons uh, and their descendants. Okay, and so these are their children that they have, their sons, you know, grandsons. And so we have all of them, and they are living in the land, and there is a famine that comes upon the land. Now, before the famine, we've got Joseph here. Uh, If you've ever heard the account of the coat of many colors, anybody familiar with that? That was this Joseph here. Uh, The Lord had given him several dreams of how he would be ruler uh, over his household, Now, the thing you have to learn about Joseph's life is some things that God speak into your life are for you and you alone. They're for you to know. They're not for you to share with everybody. Jacob was, Joseph was excited about what God was sharing with him. And so he decided to share with his family how I had these dreams and all of you all came and bowed down to worship me. And so his brothers were like, I don't think so. And he was his father's favorite, can you guess why? He was whose son? He was Rachel's son. The son of the woman that his father actually loved and wanted to marry. So although his parents were not supposed to have favorites, some parents don't get that straight. And they will have a favorite and will openly show. Now that's just going to breed hostility among the other kids. And that's exactly what it did. So the fact that he was his father's favorite son and grouped with the fact that now he's having these dreams that not only does uh, his father favor him, but God favors him. And so his brothers are like, we're going to nip that in the bud. And so they take him out and they're going to kill him. But the eldest brother's like, hey, we, let's not, you, we don't, family don't act like that. We're not going to kill him. You know, we just put him in the pit because his plan was I'm going to go back and I'll get him later. But when he leaves, I guess he underestimates the hostility and wickedness of his brothers uh, because they don't kill him, but they do sell him into slavery. Um, and he ends up, so Joseph ends up in Egypt. Now, his father believes that he's dead. They've taken the coat of many colors and they've, you know, bloodied it up with animal blood. So now his father is just distraught because his favorite son is, you know, is gone, died horribly. So Joseph goes through several different things that happen uh, because he, but because he is a man after God's own heart, when he is tempted, when temptation comes to him and he has opportunity, he doesn't because he remembers what God has shown him. He remembers who he is. He doesn't get caught up in his circumstance. He very easily could have. God, you said I was going to rule over everybody. And here I am being sold as a slave. What's up, God? <laughs> but he doesn't get caught up in his circumstances because he remembers the word that God has spoken to him. And that's what we need to do. You can't get caught up in what's going on around you. You got to hold fast to the word that God has spoken to you. So after several different things, Joseph ends up rising to power um, in Egypt and he becomes an administrator and he, God gives him a plan as to how to uh, store up food for an upcoming, something's going to happen. And he gives him the resources and he stores them up. So famine hits the land and the only place where there is food is where? Egypt. 
Egypt. The only place where there's food is Egypt. And so um, Jacob and the rest of his family is forced to go into Egypt in search of food. And they don't realize at first that it is their brother that's there, but finally they do. And so then, you know, everything works out well. The whole family relocates uh, to Egypt. So when they first get there, everything is fine. But you see, this is a huge family. And this is what we call Abraham's descendants, the nation of Israel. Well, they continue to grow and to multiply. So much so that the Egyptians start to get concerned. You know, when you look around and there's more of them than there are of you, you have to, you know, take something. I don't, we don't want them to come in. We, you know, we invited them in and now they're taking over the place. And so they become enslaved. Uh, by the nation uh, of Egypt. They uh, start, some of them start to worship the Egyptian gods because Egypt did not worship Jehovah. Uh, they worshiped false idols, false gods, uh, but the nation grows, but they are in bondage. And along comes, as they are crying out for a deliverer, because some of them remember, you know, hey, we are supposed to be a blessed and prosperous nation. We're supposed to be the head and not the tail. We shouldn't be here serving. We serve the one true God. And so they are crying out and crying out. And after many years of, you know, slavery and crying out, God sends them a deliverer whose name is anybody. Very good. Moses. So Moses, y'all are on it. Yay. So Moses comes in. And through a series of trials and, you know, carrying on, and that's when we hit the plagues, you hear the plagues that hit Egypt. Finally, Pharaoh does uh, let, you know, our famous phrase, let my people go. He finally does let the people go. Uh, and they go, and as they, you know, journey out to find their promised land to go out and worship, uh, they get out there, and Moses is the one who's leading them, but Moses can only do, and this is a huge people, a nation at this point, hundreds of thousands of people. And so he leads them out and he does his part and he takes them so far. And then Joshua, uh, remember, there's an account of the 12 spies. They get to the promised land because it wasn't as long a trip as it took them. It wasn't a 40 year journey, but it took them 40 years because it was some stuff that had to die out in them. They had, although they had come out of Egypt, it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. And so sometimes that is how it is in our lives. The trip from where we are right now to our promised land may only be a two-week journey, but it may take us 40 years to get there because of some stuff we're not willing to let go. So that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do I want to journey 40 years to cover two weeks worth of distance? You know, or do I just want to let that stuff go and get where God wants? I want God's best for me. So uh, the spies go in and they come back out and 10 of them were like, oh, buddy, no, there's big folks over there, giants in that land. It's a good land. Yeah, but I don't believe we can do it, y'all. Not because the people over there said we would conquer you, but because in themselves, or as it says, we are grasshoppers in our own sight. And because of that, we are grasshoppers in their sight. It doesn't so much matter how I see you as it matters how you see you. So because they only saw themselves as grasshoppers, they couldn't go in. Now you had two people, Joshua and Caleb, that said, hey, not so. You know, this is, God has said we could have this. The rest of them forgot that with God on your side, it doesn't matter how big or how plenteous the enemy is, you are greater, right? We are greater when God is on our side. So you had them saying, we can do this, we're well able, but you know, 
The people chose to believe the 10. And so they, you know, had to stay in the wilderness. Then as Moses uh, is leaving the scene, Joshua is uh, raised up as his replacement. And Joshua is a soldier. And so as we're going into the promised land, when you get into the book of Joshua, there is war after war after war as they're trying to go back in and conquer their land. Now their land, there's a time that they've been gone. Their land has now been inhabited by people who don't worship the Lord, uh, who, who have heard about all the great things that God has done for his nation uh, as they were coming out of Egypt. But even having heard that, they still choose not to worship uh, the Lord. And so they go in as they're trying to reclaim uh, their territory, uh, so to speak. Uh, so there's lots of wars and lots of battles. And each of these groups, now they are careful to remember, uh, part, it's very important that they were able to trace back their heritage, even after all of these years, to one of the 12 sons. Um, and each of them were given different lands as an inheritance. And as they're going in and clearing out those lands uh, so that they can settle, you know, and that, that is what's going on uh, in Joshua. So they know, you know, that they own, that this is our land, that we own it, but we've got to be able to go back in and claim it. And, and so they're doing that. And then when we get to, let's read the last part of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. Now Joshua is old. And hold on just a second. Let me get a Bible pulled up here. Joshua is is old and he's about to go off the scene. And so he is recounting in Joshua 24. He's recounting uh, everything that I just kind of told you is what goes on in Joshua 24. Okay. And so, oops, we'll get it in a minute. I got too much technology going on up here. Okay, so Joshua has called in the heads um, that he's he's gathered in all the tribes of Israel and all the elders of Israel uh, and their heads and their judges and their officers. And he's going through and he's reminding them of their history, of all that God has done. And, um, you know, just kind of a history lesson. And he's asking the people, you know, who are you going to serve? Um, are you going to serve the pagan gods that are all around you? Or are you going to serve the ones you love? Because, you know, you've got all these people uh, that you're being exposed to at this point. And you have all these opportunities because God has told them when they went into the land that they would have to get rid of everybody. Uh, and there was a reason for that. Because he knew that if they did not, then they would become exposed and they would fall prey to worshiping those false idols if they left them there. He knew his people. And if they left them there, then they would start to mingle and they would start to become what those people had become. It wasn't a situation of, well, Lord, we're going to win them to you. These people had, they had been, you know, so to, they had been exposed to the gospel, so to speak, and they still had chosen knowing, uh, who God was and what he was capable of and what the kind of worship he demanded. They had still chosen, you know, we know about Jehovah, but we're not interested. And so sometimes even with us, when you're around somebody, if they're not interested, sometimes you just have to part ways when they just tell you, I know I've heard, I don't want your God. And that's what we were um, looking at. People who've just said, no, we don't, we don't want it. We don't want it. 
And so the Lord says, well, you're going to have to completely, you know, get rid of, you're going to have to drive those people completely out of the land, uh, because if not, then you will be, you will, they won't be, you won't be turning them, they'll be turning you. And so, uh, Joshua was asking the people, so, you know, who are you going to serve? But as for me and my house, Joshua says, him and his house, uh, he's going to serve the Lord. And so the people said, far be it from us that we should forsake, we're at verse, uh, uh, Joshua 24, verse 16. So the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We will, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. Now, that is sometimes an easy statement to make when there's nothing going on, right? right. And Joshua has tried to tell them, look, you know, this is what God has done. He's rehearsing the promises. He's rehearsing what has happened, the testimony, so to speak, of their nation in their ears. And he's saying, look, you're going to have to decide right now before you get in the thick of things who you're going to serve. Because once, you know, the rubber meets the road, you don't want to have to be out there in the thick of the battle trying to decide, do I even want to be saved? That ain't the time to be trying to make that decision. Right now, you need to decide, as for me and my house, I know who God is and what he's capable of. And it doesn't matter what comes at me. I'm making the decision right now, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's what Joshua was telling me. So the people said, hey, we're going to serve him. And Joshua tells him, look, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. So he's warning them again. Don't play with God is what he's saying. Don't play with him. Because if you get out there and you decide, well, you get all wishy-washy. Well, I don't know. We may want to serve Baal. They're such pretty statues and the temple that they have. He's like, look, God's not, don't play with God because he's not going to play with you. He's not going to put up with your wishy-washy junk. So you need to decide right now what you're going to do. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Now that's a very important statement for y'all to remember <laughs> as we study the book of Judges. And so the people, and so Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And sometimes we need to look at our family members and look at our church um, members. And we have to say, look, you said out of your own mouth, be your own witness Uh that you are going to serve the Lord. So when you stray from him and you start serving these false gods, and we may not have one called Baal, but we can get so wrapped up in serving our stuff that we turn our eyes from God. And then when things start going wrong and you, well, why God is allowing this to happen to me? We need to be like Joshua and say, look, I tried to tell you he wasn't going to put up with all this junk. He's a jealous God, meaning he's not going to share you with somebody else. If you're going to be with him, then you're going to have to be with him. And he's going to provide for you and he's going to protect you. But if you're going to go outside his circle of protection and then all hell breaks loose in your life, don't go looking at him saying, but God, I thought you was going to love me. 
You got to decide right now. If you're going to serve God, you're going to serve God. If you're going to try to straddle the fence, then the things that come your way, you're going to have to be prepared to handle them. Because if he's telling you, this is the realm of protection that I have for you, it's not that he's going to punish you because you turn from him. You are going to put yourself out there where the punishment is. The hammer is going to fall. If you decide to get up under it, that's your choice. And that's what Joshua was telling these people. Look, you're going to have to decide right now because the enemy that you face out there is real. And they're not playing games with you. And if you're going to serve God, then you come over here and serve God. But if you're not, you need to decide that now. Don't lie to yourself and to saying to thinking that I'm serving God when in fact you're not. So that's something we need to a wake up call for us. It's not just getting up and coming to church because it's something cute to say. And you can say, I go to church every Sunday. This is a real thing. The enemy doesn't play people. And if you tiptoe out back and forth on him, Satan is like, all right, I'll show you. You come on back. Yeah, there's a price to pay. You want to pretend? You can you can be his servant and pretend to be a Christian. He don't care about that as long as he know he's got you. So Joshua is telling people, you need to decide. And the people said, okay, uh, the Lord is our God. We're going to serve him. And uh, in his voice, we will obey. And so Joshua makes a covenant with the people that day. And um, he you know, goes in and reminds them. And then he dies at the age of 110 years old. And so then he's buried. Uh, when we get into the book of Judges, Joshua does not appoint a successor as Moses did. So the people, uh, when we are on the scene in the book of Judges, we have the nation of Israel. They are to be reminded of God's law, of, of this history on a regular basis. And they are to serve God. Uh, they have the priesthood is set up, uh, the sacrifices and all is set up. So they know what to do. And they didn't need, if they had done as God said, because at this point there's not so much fighting going on, they're settling into their land. And if they had done what they knew to do, which was to serve the Lord with their whole heart, and you know, be reminded of his principles, of his commandments, what he expected of them. They were supposed to be teaching uh, their families that in the home, then they would come together as a nation every sabbatical year and the priests were teaching uh, them. If they had followed that, then all would have been well. But, so we come into the book of Judges and we see um, that there's no king. Um, the people start to forget their history. They don't rehearse it just like when I say about our U.S. history book, now most of us took history in school, but unfortunately, uh, surveys have shown that the average American knows less about American history than the average non-American. That if we were given the citizenship test that people have to pass to become, you know, recognized as a citizen in this country, the majority of people in this room, if we were just in this room, according to statistics, would not pass. That is a very sorry state of affairs. But that is what gets us into the trouble that we're in. Same thing happened with the nation of Israel because they stopped rehearsing their history in their ears. It got to a point where the majority of them did not know 
You know, they did not remember what God expected. They did not remember what God promised and what they, what they promised. And so as they forgot those things, they fell into a situation where they, you know, would stray away from what, what they said they were going to do. They would stray away from the promises of God and they would find themselves in some trouble. And that's what's going to pick us up in the book of Judges is we're going to see uh, what happens. Instead of this being a time of rest from war and enjoying their peace, we're going to see Israel suffering from a series of invasions, slavery, poverty, all sorts of mishaps. But I thought it was important for you to get that history so that you would understand this was a group of people that knew and that, you know, they had been asked, you know, it sort of been put out there before them to decide what is it you want to do. And that decision is before us. What is it you want to do? But it's so important to be reminded of our history, not only just as Americans and to know American history. You need to know your roots, where you came from, the challenges uh, that were presented to your your people, to your family uh, in the past, to know what decisions they made. Uh, what was the outcome of those decisions so that you can make, you remember we've learned in Proverbs all about wisdom, being able to make wise choices. And so it would have helped them if they had remembered their history, remembered their connection with God. Okay, that was a mouthful. Does anybody have any questions on that review? Next week, we will pick up with Judges chapter one. So now that we've got a little history, we know what we're going into, uh, what's going on. Anybody, any questions? No. All right. Thank you guys so much for being a part of our Sunday school class. Judges has 21 chapters in it. Um, We won't take 21 weeks, of course, to go through it. So I encourage you to go ahead and you can read ahead. Uh, If you want to go ahead and try to sit down and over the next week and just pop the CD in and listen to all of them, you can or just, you know, just kind of get it in you because sometimes it's better if you've got the whole book, you know, in you and then you can we can discuss because I do want to make sure that we all get the most, you know, the maximum amount that we can get out of this. That's what Sunday school is for. It's a time to learn uh, and to share. But we want to just like when you were in school, you can only get as much out of it as you're going to put into it. And if you don't read ahead of time, then you just kind of give me that deer in the headlights look when we're in class because you're like, I don't know what she's talking about. But when she looked my way, I'm going to smile because I don't want her to know I don't know what she's talking about. So it is it's good reading. Um, so I do encourage you to read and don't try to, you know, don't worry about the names. We're talking about some of those this morning before Sunday school. This is a different culture, a uh, different part of the world, different country. So these names are foreign to us. Uh, just like if you were to take our names, you know, and you had this chart up here, if you were to do your family history and have it on a chart and show it to people from another time, from another country, it would look strange to them, right? You think about our names. You know, it would look odd to them. They would be, but these names had meaning to them. You know, they, they didn't just, weren't just haphazardly given. So just keep in mind when you're reading, it gets complicated, but you're reading about a people's history uh, that's in a different part of the world than us. Okay. All right. Thank you guys so much for being a part of our Sunday school class. Uh, we are dismissed. Well, those of you that are here tonight and those of you that are listening by way of CD, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, We're going to say this short prayer together. And I pray that if you pray this prayer sincerely, the Lord will hear you and he will answer you. So if everybody here, would you you stand with us at this time? And we're going to invite our Savior in our hearts because he loves us 
And he is not here to condemn us. He's not here to embarrass us. He loves you. He loves you. And he does not want distance to be between you. So, would you repeat with me? Would you pray with me? And just say, Father, I come to you admitting that I have done wrong. I have sinned and I have fallen short of your glory. But I've heard that you're a loving God and that you will forgive me. So now I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And I confess Jesus as my master, my Lord, and as my savior. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Live in me. I accept you. And I thank you for accepting me. Now fill me with your precious spirit. I thank you, Father, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember, if you would like to hear more about our ministry, just log on to kingdomrock.org. That's kingdomrock.org.